This is Get to Know an Average Joe. Our topic this time is public speaking. It's alarming, you can say, that we, uh, since we spend so much time consuming digital tools and toys, as I call it sometimes, we tend to actually deteriorate our skills, our social skills and, and analog communication skills. We're going to talk to Anthony Lassenay about his passion and his work as a TED Talker and as a coach and keynote speaker. But first, we want to get to know this quote-unquote average Joe. So we went back to Anthony's roots to find out how did he become this person who gallops through life with such a joy and energy. First question, what's in his name, Lassenay? This comes from Albania. My father is from Albania. He, yeah, he moved to Sweden when he, was, uh, when he was about 21 or 22. This is in the beginning of the 60s. But the names in Albania is like that. Lassinai, Pemai, Lekai. Does it mean something? I have no idea. I don't think so. Okay, all right. How much of Albanian culture shaped your young life? I have, again, no idea, really. You know, my, my, my dad is from Albania. He came to Sweden when he was young. And then my mother is from... Uh, former Yugoslavia and she also came to Sweden when she was even younger a teenager actually and they met and so I can't say if it's Albanian culture if it's Serbo-Croatian culture if it's a mix of those and the Swedish culture you know I think it's a mix of everything actually wow and yet you are primarily Swedish or how do you answer the question like what's your heritage born and raised in Sweden with parents from other parts of the country of, of Europe actually yeah so Swedish that you actually participated in that program when Sweden said to the world, you can call Sweden and anybody can just call a Swedish number and ask any question about Sweden, right? That is that is so true. And it was so fun. I volunteered to be part of that program to be it's called call the call a Swede. I think it was. Yeah. Uh, what a success it was. Hundreds and thousands of people from abroad called you know, any random Swede that was volunteering. And what I, questions did you get? Uh, what is uh, surströmming, the kind of fermented herring? That was one question. Uh, uh, what about the colors of the houses? Are they really red and white and things like that? It was different questions. Do you want to marry me? I got one question from, from somebody and I explained that, no, I am already married. We don't do big amiss in Sweden. You know. <laughs> and did that make you feel more Swedish or more proud of being sweet? How is that gratifying to you to participate in that program? Well, it was really gratifying because it was fun to also promote Sweden from different uh, angles, you know, talking about things that that uh, they were really interested in. Coming from Hungary or, or China or the US, it was different countries that, that, that called me and of course other people as well. Uh, I liked it. It was fun to represent Sweden. And I started the whole thing by, by saying, hi, you just called us Swede. My name is Anthony. How can I help you? Mm. And, they, they, and they said, is, this, is this for real, they said? Is this really true? Yes, it is true. I'm, I'm here right now. So, so then we went on from there. Did it take any convincing? I mean, you're really um, an extrovert. You are happy to approach people, talk about people. Your comfort zone is on a stage. Would you agree with that? I don't mind being on a stage at all. Mm. But then when I'm in different other situations, I might not be as extrovert. It depends. But, but on stage, I don't feel uncomfortable at all. And your profession is really to help. Well, describe your profession. 
it's basically three parts. Uh, two of them are on stage. So I'm either acting as a moderator or as a public speaker, a keynote or something like that myself. And then I'm also training other people to communicate, whether it's on stage uh, for presenting or, or if it's uh, like in a business context, uh, a customer meeting or something like that. So communication is, is my passion. Analog communication, not about apps and digital stuff, but it's analog communication. So let's dig into that because you are also tech savvy. You're not anti-technology, but you're into the analog. And this was the topic of your your TEDx talk. So we're going to get into what that's like as a TED speaker. But first, tell us about this this analog communication. Is it versus or is it with digital or how does that work? Yeah, but I'm I'm part of Generation X, so I've, been, I've lived through the transition from analog to digital. I've been through that time where we didn't have, you know, internet. I got my first mobile phone as a grown-up. I got my first email address as an adult and so forth. So I don't want to go back to that. That was boring. You know, I, I love technology. I love innovation. So I'm, I can't say that I'm perhaps the earliest adopter, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm there. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I am curious. Uh, but on the other hand, I, I also love analog communication. I like to meet people face to face if it's possible. I think that the richest form of communication is when you meet someone face to face. Then then you get all the different uh, parts of a com- communication, not only the words or something like that. So for me, it's not either or, but it's, uh, it's alarming, you can say, that we, uh, since we spend so much time consuming digital tools and toys, as I call it sometimes, we tend to actually deteriorate our skills our social skills and, and analog communication skills a bit doesn't mean everyone does it but uh, but i can see a trend here and do you see it in your children to some extent yes i do i i can give you an example one of my uh, sons is is almost an extrovert when he's playing his video games and and i know that he's not really like that otherwise he's kind of an introvert as a person but it's so fun to see him playing in those video games also be connected online and he shouts and he screams and he laughs and everybody's enjoying himself but when you meet the same people in a physical context it's like they just go quiet not only him but but the whole you know crew the other people as well they don't know what to say you know they need a screen in front of them sometimes to talk Uh, that's kind of uh, on one hand, it's a bit alarming because then I, again, you know, you don't practice social skills if you if you're only in the digital context. But but for him, being an introvert, it's also an advantage that he can express himself in different ways in the digital space. So it's kind of both ways. I, I can't say that it's bad. It's just you know we need to figure out how to work with it. And I think that we're really immature still. We're just entering this area of digital consumption. I find it to be the topic of so many fights at home with my sons, you know, uh, and I I excuse myself because when I'm on a screen, I'm working. When they're on a screen, they're gaming and that's different. And so I, I have this dual standard for them and it's not fair. And we fight and fight and fight. So I agree. I think it's going to be this generation's great challenge. And it's the same for us. We put limits on, on how much they can spend in front of the screen. And of course, we never keep that anyway. But it's, it's always like that. We talk about that. But again, if, if, if they look at what we do, they, they see that we do it as well. We can call it work and all that. But I still remember when I picked up my kids from kindergarten and they told me after a while, especially one, one of the sons, can you please not speak and uh, talk on the phone when you pick me up? And I thought that I was doing something good because I went from the the work early to pick him up and all that. 
but I was still all at work, you know, when I picked him up. And so he, he felt that I, I neglected him and he was so right. And my conscience, was, I mean, I felt so bad. So we do it. And not only that, I don't know about you, but, but we give our kids new game, video games to play. And then we say, don't play it. I know. Yes. I mean, it's always like that. And right. new, new toys, it's right. new phones. Talk about your mixed messages. All the time, all the time. So we, and then they see us again, you know, consuming whatever it is, social media, for instance, at home. And, and why should they not be able to watch YouTube if I watch, sure. uh, you know, something on my channels, exactly. you know? Right. So yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Yeah. It's a tough one. Now, getting on a TED stage is a thing. Right, and I think anybody who appreciates the art of presenting and the skill of presenting aspires to get on the TED stage. So tell me how brilliant it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, in many senses, pretty amazing. Uh, I must say, they were so good. I mean, the, the crew, uh, how they, they were so professional and they had this TV producing crew, you know, with seven different uh, cameras, uh, seven different angles. and. Uh, one of those broadcasting buses outside. So they, they really went all in on this on this project. And I went all in myself. Uh, once I understood that I would, would be a TED speaker, part of my bucket list for a few years, I can tell you. So I was happy when that happened. I, I've never spent so much time preparing for one speech as I have for this one. And I mean, I do quite a lot of, of, of presentations or lectures or speeches myself. So, but this was this was special. This was special. I, you know, you need to, to make it within... 15 to 18 minutes something like that is, is kind of the topic you cannot go over that time you don't you just don't so you you just measure you know 130 words per minute how many words can i i mean on that you level. went down to that kind of granular timing yes 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 so i uh, oh this is 2200 words that's too much i need to fix this and I, so it was on that level you know every word counted for something otherwise i took it away and i had to kill one <laughs> more than one darling you know to make that um, work so that was uh, preparation-wise uh, uh, really important. And I practiced it 15, 20 times. You know, how much is it now? 16 minutes, 50 seconds. That's okay. I can do that. Uh, but once I was up there, you know, things happened. How so? So I was the last speaker of the day. And the audience of about 100 people knew that this is like a TV show. You are here now to, to help out and to laugh and to be, you know, to enjoy this, but understand that if something needs to be, a, uh, if there needs to be a retake, for instance, we do a retake because the, the final product, the actual uh, production, the film is what matters. This is what's gonna be put on TED. When it was my turn as the last speaker, it was almost six o'clock in the afternoon, the moderator introduced me before I even had my microphone on. Oh. So I got super stressed, of course, because I didn't want to, you know, let the applause die out and then I wasn't there. So, so I, I got super, I was already, you know, pumped up for this, right? And then uh, finally I got the microphone on, you know, and I rushed up on stage just when the applause started. And I should, of course, taken like 10 seconds of, of just breathing before, because I knew this was a recording. I didn't. So I left my script immediately, wow. like the first sentence. <laughs> And, and I can, you know, that was so tough. And I, and I have this ability to kind of see myself from the side. Mm -hmm. Since I spend so much time on communication, I can, I can do that. So I, I, I recognize this, you know, you're leaving the script, go anyway. And then I just went on, right? Somehow, I don't know why, but 
I got a slide up on the background, which was the wrong slide. I mean, I don't normally use slides, but I had like eight or something slides. So I had a slide that should, was supposed to come on after six minutes. Mm -hmm. So my first six minutes was, was without slides. And I, and I you know, was talking about you know, the, the whole digital context and how social media is invading us and how that affects our empathy and stuff like that. Uh, and then I turn after like five and a half minutes and see that the wrong slide is on. The first slide that I should have after six minutes. And again, I was just thinking, damn, damn. But, uh, you know, the show must go on. So I just kept on delivering right to the very end. And then, you know, applause, everything is great. And I leave the stage and I say, we need to do something about this. Can you fix? Can you fix those? Uh, you have seven cameras. Can you take away that? You know, can you have an angle where you don't see the slides? And they said no. Um, shall we skip it? Shall we just leave it as it is? You know, and some people in the audience said, "Yeah, we didn't care." You know, but I felt that I cannot remove this from my homepage if it's only my movie. This is the TED talk. This would be there forever. So I asked the audience. I know it's late. Can you? Is it okay if we do a, a retake of the beginning? And they said, yeah, yeah, let's do a retake. They were so nice. They were so nice. So I did a retake, not 15 seconds. I did a six-minute retake. I took the whole beginning from uh, again. And I, I, I think I nailed it. And I hope that you like it. Uh, yeah, I really hope that you like it. Right. When you need to make a big decision, do you have a ritual or do you have, do you have some sort of help? For example, you... Um, you left a steady job to go out on your own in your communications business. And that was now 10 years ago. How long ago? Uh, that was 11 years ago. Uh -huh. Yeah. Mm. Right. <sighs> How do you prepare yourself for a big decision? This, this is one of those powerful questions. I try to remember what happened. I think that, you know what, you know what happened? I just couldn't resist doing it. I, it, was, it was like a seed planted in me. Years before, when I was uh, working for Ericsson and I was out uh, on the road, I was out globally doing this road show as a, as a moderator. I was handpicked, selected somehow and, and got this opportunity and it was a great opportunity. And I said, I can do this all the time, you know. But then I had too, too good of a time at Ericsson. I, I really loved working here. So, so I let it go. But obviously I didn't. The seed was kind of planted and, and then it took like four or five years before it just came to a situation where I couldn't resist. I just had to do it. It was more like that. Mm. So I can't say it was like a, a snap decision or something like that. It was just, it grew on me. I haven't regretted it since. I, I love the time I had, but I also love the time I have. Mm. Mm. It's almost like the artistic um, compulsion. Artists have to paint. Writers have to write. You don't get to choose on that. It's just a calling. Uh, it feels like a calling, and it was probably at the right time as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't. I couldn't do it ten years earlier. I wasn't ready myself. I, I needed to do a couple of things before that. And, and once I did, it just fell into place. And now it's like a life purpose, uh, helping people be better at communicating with other people. You know, in different types of meetings. That's what I do, and I and I just love it. Mm. So on decisions, I'm going to put another one to you because you also moved from Stockholm down to uh, quite a rural area. Are you still in the forest? I'm almost in the forest, yeah. We, we, I'm in a small village. It's called a city, but it's, it's actually a village. One traffic light in the whole uh, area. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's small. It's really small. 
Uh, that wasn't uh, my decision really. I moved from Gothenburg to Stockholm and, and my plan was to just come here to grab my wife. She wasn't my wife at the time. She was you know, my girlfriend. And I just grab her by the hair and just pull her back to Gothenburg. That was a plan. It didn't work at all. So we stayed here for like nine years or something like that. At the time I worked for Ericsson as well. Uh, but then she said that at one point that uh, it was time for us to move again. Our kids was, uh, our oldest kid was starting school and we needed to find out what, where to live. And, and she just said, I want to move back so, because she's from that area. So it was just, yeah, I said, fine, get a job. It's time for me to fulfill my life purpose and, and do this uh, travel and my journey on, on being self-employed and, and doing my stuff. So that's why we moved. But what was it like going from big Gothenburg and Stockholm are Sweden's two largest cities, and now you're in a place with one traffic light? I can't think of a greater, you know, those are bookends of a of a living experience. What was that like to to shift that drastically in your living situation? Uh, for me, first of all, it's not a big thing because if I look at my parents leaving their countries, not even understanding the language, doesn't even know how a post box looks like in this country. That's a shift. For me, moving from one part of a country to another where people speak practically the same language with some kind of dialect, that's, that's nothing. Having said that, it was like a cultural shock for me to go down there because you know, I could, I could, it could be one person in front of me to buy something in a store and it could take 30 minutes because they needed to keep on talking because they knew each other so well. And, <laughs> and I still remember like the second day or something like that, I, I had to stop my car on the road because the car in front of me stopped because the other car coming from the opposite direction stopped and they turned down the, uh, the, the um, window, they rolled window down the window and started to talk to each other. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, where am I? You know, that was the traffic jam in the whole town. That was the traffic jam. They stopped and talked to each other for a while and then they kept on going. So that was that was a, a shock. But now I can tell you, I, I enjoy it so much when I come to Stockholm and I come here quite a lot because many of my clients are here. I love it. I'm, I'm right into the pulse and it's, you know, a lot of people and stuff like that. But then when I come home, it's just like it's so relaxing and, and it's it's just easy in another way, mm. slower. So your days vary because you are self-employed. So sometimes you're working, sometimes you're not. You're out walking the dog, you're spending time with the kids. But if you got a favorite day, what are the ingredients of that favorite day? Well, then I have to separate work from, from family uh, because a great day for me is when I am uh, working, when I'm delivering. I don't, I don't care so much about administration. That's not my, st- my thing. But, you know, standing there, perhaps uh, seeing that you can influence a bunch of hundred people or even more people sometimes on a stage, that's really great. Or, or it doesn't matter if I'm the moderator or the speaker or something else. I really love that. And even as a, as a speaker trainer or something, that, you know, you can see you can see how people shift, how people improve and how they recognize that they improve. That's a great feeling. And then I, then I feel great because I've done something good. I made a difference. So, so that's one thing. And that's perhaps me being an ego, you know, the star sometime. And I can be on stage and, and all that. But, but then, of course, you know, just going out with the family, going to another part of the world or just having a, a trip somewhere, spending time together. One of those days where you don't argue about, you know, mobile phone usage and stuff like that. And and just uh, enjoy life. I like just reading a book on the beach. That's great. You know, give me a nice book. I don't do that so much during uh, 
semesters. Regular season. Yeah, because then then it's all about psychology and, and I read those type of books. But but then in the summer, just having one of those fiction books in my hand that is that that's just great. Like candy. That's like candy for me. Mm. Yeah. Anthony, thank you so much for joining Get to Know an Average Joe. I felt like a great average Joe, didn't I? It was fun. It was really fun, Dodi. Of course, always. Anthony Lassenai. If he's not backstage or on stage, you can find him on lassenai.se. The next Joe you'll meet is Kathy Mulligan. We're going to get as techy as we've ever gotten on this podcast. We create radical transparency in blockchain through every single node on the network having a copy of every single transaction that has happened on it. Um, And that's what we call consensus. Besides getting a quick explanation of blockchain, you're going to learn a bit about what makes Kathy tick. I'm Dodie Axe, and I thank you for listening. Now, if you'll excuse me, 